0: On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I had the chance to chat with Steven Siskind from The Hero Company. We had such a good conversation. A lot of it centered around how to actually look at your data, what data to look at. They have four different companies in two totally different sectors and selling two totally different things. We talked about what it's like for direct-to-consumer companies to potentially add on some digital products, which you know, Newsflash, they're basically 100% margin products. And what that looks like, we talked about all sorts of stuff, EOS, implementing that, what a good integrator looks like, you guys are not going to want to miss this episode. Hey, hey, guys, are you struggling to create offers that actually convert? Look no further than our must have brand new course called million dollar offers. With just a few short videos, you're going to learn the seven essential elements of a million dollar offer and how to leverage the power of AI and chat GPT to iterate on your headlines and your prompts. The great news is that this course is actually completely free. So Google Upgrowth Academy, that's Upgrowth Academy, and looks at the course called Million Dollar Offers. You guys will not regret this one. Now on to today's episode. Hey guys, Jordan West back with another episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Oh, I am looking forward to having a conversation like this today. Most of the conversations that I have on here revolve Somewhere around marketing, right? It's somewhere around, hey, how do we get more people in? Rarely do we focus on operations, which I'm really looking forward to having this conversation because without good operations, and I'm going to use some EOS sort of language here, a really good integrator in your company, you will not be successful. You can't market your way out of bad systems. And so that's why I'm really looking forward to having a chat to Steven today. Steven Siskind from The Hero Company, that's what we're calling it. you guys have a bunch of things that are going on. Tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you guys do.
1: Well, it's just funny that you said, just backing up on EOS, we're actually in the middle of implementing that, our business. Oh, awesome. And I am the integrator. So, my business partner is the visionaries and got the BI thing. So,
0: yeah, which great. is incredibly powerful. Yeah. Like, that relationship is just like, what an incredible relationship. I could almost just tell right away. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're an integrator. I mean, Steven and I have chatted one time before this, too. And it's not yeah. magic, but it's pretty easy to pick up on with guys like Steven. So, it's an absolute powerhouse. They say it's like, percent of the population even could potentially be an integrator. That is the missing piece. There's a lot of visionaries, I'll tell you. A lot of people who have great, great vision, but don't have that person, you know, alongside. You need both
1: because I don't have that visionary element, and I need that sidekick to help move things along. So, yeah. So So, what I want to know for our audience here is who you are and what you guys do. So our company is a direct consumer internet online business. We have four brands that we market. Two of them are in the supplement space, and two of them are in the digital information product or courses space. We have uh, basically an umbrella organization that manages all four of those brands. My business partner and his team are responsible for marketing, mostly market mainly in funnels, like VSLs, video sales letters, and sales letters. We drive traffic to that through cold traffic, mostly from Affiliate, traffic, native, email, that kind of thing. And then we have the funnels with upsells and downsells. And then once we have the customer acquired, we do backend marketing via email and SMS. That's our basic, that's how we generate our revenue. And then from my perspective, as the integrator, I'm the person who's in charge of making all the dreams come true. Creating the dreams, making them true. So that's specifically around data analytics or all of the information, all the media, all the marketing that's happening, all of the logistics, operations, purchasing, customer service and finance and porting is sort of all falls under my domain. I work very closely with the marketing team to make sure the marketing production is also happening as well. So awesome. it's multiple hats. We've got about 70 people in our company, give or take. Some of them, and they're spread out. Everyone is uh, virtual, completely virtual. Wow. We don't have a physical office and everything. A lot of those folks, other people are spread out all over the world yeah. from Asia to the US to Europe as well. That's incredible. I would love to know how, with
0: four different four brands, and two completely different business models, you handle that. How do you integrate those things together so that you're not running, or maybe you are just running four completely different businesses? How do you find synergy between all of those?
1: Well, the synergy, let's say the dialogue or the tension between the integrator and the visionary. The visionary is this expansionary thinker, and the integrator is the one who wants to just focus, right? So was uh-huh. up To me, we probably have like maybe three brands, which is what we're working for, and not oh, five. You. So that's the first thing. For us, each brand sort of has a hero offer behind it. So, a main front end offer to acquire their customers. Yeah. And then a series of products on the back end. We have a lot of crossover. So, like, we have two supplement brands. A lot of the products aren't similar or actually they're the same, but just branded with one brand or the other, mm. which makes things easier. And then also just from an operational standpoint, all of our transactions run through one CRM. So we have a centralized system where all of the data is flowing into one place. And then we can analyze all of that data from one location, just with different data fields and tell whether it came from this offer or that brand, that offer or the other. So that's one way we do that. It. You know, it's a centralized operating system. If you look at how we operate the business, it really is one company. Gotcha. Like full, almost like four divisions of one company. Yeah. It's basically different offers really. And you know, we have Shopify stores for a couple of them and such, but I'm interested to hear about
0: the digital side of things. Cause I think there's something really interesting that e-commerce brands can actually tap into on the digital side. And I'd love to hear sort of how you guys are integrating that and what those business units sort of look like from that side, even from like an offer standpoint and like why these courses as well. Besides that, they're like basically well, 100% margin.
1: It's the perfect business model. Yeah. You, you like it. If you can create a content or a course, videos or digital or however you want to do it, and then that becomes an asset that's permanent and there's no cost of goods, right? So amazing. It's a very powerful business model. So you can create content people want us to see. So ours are, one of them is in a women's fitness challenge and another one is in men's dating
0: advice. Could you walk me so, through, like let's do the women's fitness challenge. I would love to hear what this funnel looks like. And like how people actually get moved through it, because I think this might actually be really helpful for some of the, number one, a lot of agency owners listen to this, right? Number two, there are a lot of e-commerce brands that are listening that adding a digital product or service onto their business could be the difference between breaking even or losing and being actually profitable, right? So I'd love to hear this to maybe get people's wheels spinning a little bit. Sure,
1: well, it runs very similarly to the other. All the funnels run similarly. Basically we have, in the case of the Women's Statements Challenge, a lot of Facebook traffic. We have some Google traffic mainly. So it's cold traffic. We're actually working with an agency. We have an agency relationship. They're creating the ads yeah. and the videos on the ads. And then they're driving the traffic to our landing page. So we have a landing page, which is basically a video sales letter, VSL, which yeah. is a presentation from the face of the brand. Her name is Maria. She's the spokesperson. Yeah. And it's a 14 day challenge basically. So you're going to sign up and you're going to learn how to, you know, what to do to get to- it's a 14 day challenge structure. And then once someone signs up for that, there's a, at the price, but it's in the 40 to $50 range for the price of the original product. And then there's upselling and downselling in the funnel. So the initial purchase is made, and then there's a series of upsells and downsells. We're actually, because we have supplements, we're now putting supplements into the upselling and downselling
0: funnel. Oh yeah. Are you cross selling those into there from the, okay. Interesting. Exactly. So what is the ultimate like For people who have just been in e-com, and I loved, I mean, I grew up in funnel marketing. I just love it. I love these like downsells and upsells and all this stuff. What is the like core offer that you're trying to go after on the fitness side there? Because I'm assuming it's not the $40 challenge. It's probably something a little bit down the funnel.
1: Well, we're trying to get people on a rebuild on a subscription. Okay. Uh, so it's a rebuild offer. So they're coming in on an initial purchase, and then we get them into a rebuild. And that's the real goal is to get them as a subscriber, so they're in all the time, and then you have lifeline value as long as you continue to provide value to that person. I know there's some companies that do funnel marketing, and their entire business is driven by profit on the front end, that initial acquisition. For us, we've operated on a break even idea that as long as we get the customer at break even and even sometimes slightly at a lose, as long as we know what our back end lifetime value is, whether it's bills or purchases from email and SMS marketing, that's where most of the profit is driven. Yeah. So that allows us to spend more on the front end knowing that we can break even rather than having. Profit. And I, I think that's a powerful model. So I think a lot of people that we compete against really focus surely on the front end, whereas we have a big concentration on back end marketing, which I think gives us an advantage to be able to grow because we have that best break of the free profit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, before we started actually recording today, you know, you would taken a look at the sign and said, Hey, not all agencies suck. Probably 99% of them do, yes. but not all of them. <laughs> what makes an agency, because, you know, a lot of people, again, they're either agency owners or they're direct consumer brands needing to deal with agencies. I, on the same time, you know, I own multiple brands and an agency and I have to deal with other agencies all the time, right? It's just part of sort of what we go through, right? When you said, you know, 1% of them don't suck, what makes a good agency? Like, what makes that relationship good and that you can actually trust them?
1: Well, I've been doing this for 13 years and I've been, work with a lot of agencies. And a lot of times, I think funnel marketing, direct to response, we're in a very focused area. There's e-commerce in general, but then it's direct to consumer internet funnel marketing of supplements and health products. It just becomes more and more specialized. And you really have to know the niche, right? So it's one thing to say that you're a direct marketing agency, but if you don't know what we're doing with funnels, then that eliminates a large percentage of agencies, right? That yeah. And then you get into, well, okay, yeah, we do a funnel internet direct right. marketing, funnel marketing, but have you had any experience with what we specifically mark? Yes. Yeah. This- Each segment is different. Like marketing a supplement, buying traffic for a supplement on Facebook is different than buying it for a beauty product or for any other category. And so for us, when I say 95% suck, it's not fair. They just don't match what we need. And finding the right agency that matches to our skills and what we need them to do for us. Because then once now we find an agency that matches those skills, we also want to know do they have the, let's say the creative output, the manpower. It's like Mm -hmm. we found for us a rate limiting step is like we can't create enough act creative test enough to get to where we need to be we need to work with an agency that can do that for us can they write the copy can they provide the images can they produce the video that's what we need for us and we don't have a big enough internal team to say all right well we can do all that ourselves we've tried to do that all that ourselves but it's a whole nother sort of skill set or resource set that we just decided not to build so what any agency we choose needs to have those sets of skills And then of course, they need to be really good with the media bot and the data and the analytics and having them have other clients who are in our space to compare a benchmark to also helps. So at the end of the day, there's only a few left that sort of fit into all of those requirements for us. And that's what came up with it. So I don't want to mean to all agencies. No, 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 no of course. <laughs> but there is a so.
0: systemic issue with, and I really do think it starts at pricing, right? I think a lot of agencies price low, right? Because they're desperate for business. So they'll price low and then they can't have the kind of people in there that can actually execute on what they need to execute on. There's also a ton of overpromising and underdelivering, right? Just to get the business. And so instead of being like, hey, Stephen, we don't do funnels. Let's just know what we do. Like, Yeah. We can do that, sure. Do you have a case study? Yeah, but we don't
1: even get to that because at the point where we're at in our business, it's all people you know. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, you're speaking to people who've been trying to do the same thing. they work with a certain agency. You talk to them and say, hey, what was like working with those guys? like, oh yeah, these guys really know, know your sector or they don't. It's beyond that for us. We've been sort of looking at it. We don't just sort of go in fresh to an agency we haven't heard of and say, hey, do you do funnels? And they're like, well, what's a funnel? funnel? Like, we don't have those conversations.
0: Yeah. And in the agency world, it's all about trust, right? Like that is what this entire thing is built on. And guys, agency people who are listening to this, if you know, at least half of your business is not coming from referrals, you got to look and see what you are actually doing as far as the kind of work that you're doing for your clients, right? If you don't constantly have people referring business to you, it probably means you're either not in the right sector or doing good enough work that they're going to give you referrals. So, I mean, that's all we live on it at Upgrowth is referrals, right? Like, I can't imagine having to go out and do a bunch of marketing for my marketing agency. That'd be a lot of work. So anyway, let's get back to to operations. What is one of the places in this group of four different companies that you see as a constant bottleneck? Besides that, I know you talked about this creative process. What else is a big bottleneck when it comes to the operations that you're trying to solve right now?
1: Well, sometimes inventory is a bottleneck. Because when you have an offer that really takes off and you've got some of your media buyers or affiliates are shopping at the bit, they're like, this is awesome. We can really ramp this up. I'm like, well, we only have so much. It takes a certain yeah. amount of time to get enough inventory. So that can be a bottleneck. But I'll change the question a little bit rather than bottleneck as far as what I think maybe the most important part of what I do operationally every day. Is data. So what that means is you know, having a rock solid grip on all the information that's flowing through our business and filtering it in a way that helps the marketing team to understand and make decisions on an almost real-time basis. Yeah. So all the conversions coming in, what's our return on ad spend? What's our cost of acquisition? What is our average order value? And across multiple offers and across multiple media channels, having that information at the tip of the finger. Is probably the most important thing that I do for the success of the business.
0: Yeah. How do you make sure that you get the right data? I'm thinking from a marketer's kind of perspective, like there's so many attribution models out there. There's so much that's lost along the way. How do you guys make sure that you know that you're using the right source of truth?
1: We basically use last click attribution. Okay. You just um, decided
0: last click is where we're, quick, that's the hill we're going to die on.
1: Because okay. that's sort of what flows through to our CRM at the end of the day, like we use UTM parameters mainly. Okay, yeah, maybe there was someone saw it on Facebook and then they went somewhere else and then they came somewhere else and I, like, no, whichever the UTM parameter that comes through at the end of the day, that's the one we give them. Right? We've tried over the years, all these different service providers that say they can give us perfect attribution, the like yeah. reports was one Been others over time. And at the end of the day, we just basically trust what comes into our CRM and the parameters that we attach to the lakes that flow through to our CRM. And that's what we use to do it. It's not perfect. No, but you've chosen something. I think that's the biggest thing is
0: like people will waver back and forth about what are we going to choose as our source of truth and then try and muddle it all together. There's something about just being like, yeah, we're going to be okay making this decision. And we've made it up until now and we've been doing good. We're going to continue.
1: The problem is, you know. Facebook will tell you X dollars and Google will tell you Y dollars. And then you add X plus Y, X equals to Z. But in your CRM, you only have B. Totally. You know? It doesn't add up. So where did all the extra right, revenue exactly. go? So it's all theoretical until you get to what's in your CRM and what's showing up in the bank. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's just sort of the way we decided to do it. Stephen, what's one thing that you believe that most people don't? Can you be more specific or are
0: you just trying some general philosophy? I mean, I like to have it in general because I like to see what kind of answers. But okay. I mean, you can go specifically like even in the company. What's one thing that you continually feel like, no, I've got a really strong belief when it comes to this that other people maybe can't see? I mean, there's a bit more of a visionary question. I'm well, the- I
1: think I would say it's resilience and showing up. I mean, I've been in direct marketing for over 20 years or longer, and there's a lot of people that come and go. There's a lot of people that make millions overnight and then they're gone the next day because they're doing crappy stuff. If you just be honest, sell good products and work the system and just show up and you're going to have longevity and be successful. And I guess that's what I believe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Steven, I got to ask you the question that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. What is
0: your secret to scaling? My secret to scaling is
1: it's pretty much what I just said. I think having integrity of character and working with people that are smarter than you are or as smart and respecting those people and allowing them to really flow. And in fact, I think even more specifically, like we're just recently implementing the EOS system in our business. Yeah. And up until then, it was just me and my business partner. And we have another person that sort of powwow in with. And we were like, okay, well, here's the decisions. These all make sense to us. So let's just go and do these things and tell everybody what we're doing. And that got us to where, to a certain point, got us because we're smart guys and we work hard and the people that work with us are great people. But I think switching to a, a more inclusive system, like what EOS does for totally. you, it brings in a leadership team and it spreads the decision-making out and then adds accountability to other people yeah. who embrace it. And I think that's a really important way now that I see that work that grow. Yeah. Because people are buying in to a common vision rather than just sort of fearing it come from on hot. So having that system in place, I think, is why is going to be a key for us? EOS is such an interesting system when it comes to
0: like in this world. It's such an interesting one. We tried implementing scaling up like the Rockefeller Habits and some of our companies. It was mm-hmm. just too big and cumbersome and it was just too complicated. And with EOS, it's super interesting because somebody's, well, are you going to hire an implementer? And I'm like, you know, I've got enough companies and enough people I talk to. I'm like, I'm going to figure this out, which I know is kind of funny because I'm a big like who not how person, right? That's just like, no, let's find somebody to do this. I truly believe that this system and the way that it is as a visionary brings such transparency and visibility to an organization that I now I'm implementing it at all the coaching that I'm doing with other companies and uh, I'm on a lot of boards and stuff. So I'm implementing it there. And it's just so simple. And it's still like, wait, why didn't we use this uh, before? Well, why is there so much magic in this?
1: Yeah. We hired someone because I think between myself and my business partner, we're both pretty strong characters and we feel like, oh, you know how to do this. It's just having someone come in as an outside partner. Totally. You know, with an objective. Yeah. I think it's a good move for us. So we decided to hire someone to help us do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just so you guys know, I'm only saying that I decided to be the implementer. And it's only because of the sort of sphere of influence that I have that I'm like, this is one of those things that I'm going to tackle myself. And in another life, I probably would have been an EOS implementer now that I'm thinking about it because I just love it so much. (laughs) But but yeah, it's really, really powerful. Stephen, I got three more questions for you. I hope that you're ready. Sure. Awesome. First question, favorite tool or app that you're using right now?
1: Well, I've always used something called Workflowy. Oh, I've never heard of it. I've been using it for years, like 10 years plus. It's basically a to-do list, but it's, it's sort of like an Evernote. But for me, I run my entire life on it. It's basically a bullet list to do list. And it has been around a while and probably my favorite tool Awesome, sort of just personal and business use. So I would say that. And then our business is virtual. So we're running on Slack, Zoom, and Google Meet. And and that kind of stuff. And of course, Google Docs is we live off of Google Docs. Yeah. So sheets and we're it. So that's sort of our foundation for, for how we get stuff done. Yeah. But my own little personal private little side tool workflow. Awesome. Guys, remember anything that Stephen and I talk
0: about in this podcast, we will make sure is down in the show notes. So we'll make sure to put a link to that specific software. I've never heard of it before. So I'm looking forward to diving in. This is why I ask this question a lot of times too, of like, Hey, what are you using to be productive? You know, I want to be more productive. And also I have shiny object syndromes.
1: Yeah. We use ClickUp. We use Monday and on a team-wide basis, currently using ClickUp. Thoughts about it, but find that for personal list keeping and personal to do is just having this as a site. This is sort of where I keep my brain.
0: Yeah. I've never found place. ClickUp and Monday to be great task managers like that.
1: Yes. ClickUp
0: is great for big processes. Monday we've used for years. I'm still finding a lot of limitations there. It's interesting. I actually go back to, and with these kinds of things, I'm an Apple guy and I just end up going and realizing that all of the native apps that Apple has built, like notes, reminders. I'm like, Oh, that's the essence of all I need. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Which is very interesting how ridiculously simple they are. And there's no bells and whistles on any of those products.
1: Well, one of is the same. It's no bells and whistles. But there's a few things that you can tag stuff. You can hashtag a task. So oh, nice. click on it and it shows you all. So I do like hashtag for high priority. So every morning I click on dash H and, oh, here's all the stuff I need to do today. And it just helps it's very quickly prioritized what you need to look at, just how I use it. I oh, love that. If you uh, want on the side, I'll show you a demo. What I oh, yes, yes, yes. I'd love
0: that. Well, we'll do that after we uh, stop recording here. A second question for you. Favorite podcast or audiobook that you're listening to
1: right now? My favorite podcast favorite right now is Founders. Oh, Founders. Okay. Who runs that podcast? It's a guy named David Semra. Okay. And it's awesome. What he does is he reads biographies. He basically reads biographies of all the greatest businessmen, politicians, sports people of all time. Yep. And then he summarizes them in a podcast.
0: So every week
1: it's a new, and what he'll do is he'll go back. So like, let's say Steve Jobs is one of his personal heroes. So he'll like read biographies of Steve Jobs and he'll do a podcast on it. But in the biography, Steve Jobs, it'll be like, well, what influenced Steve Jobs? So there's this guy, named Edwin Land, who was actually the inventor of the Polaroid camera. So if you look back, Steve Jobs was heavily influenced by Edwin Land. So then what he'll do is he'll go find biographies on Edwin Land. And this guy was like a genius. And a lot of what Steve Jobs did at Apple was based on what Edwin Land did at Polaroid. And then he looks back, well, Edward Land goes back to Alexander Bells, and he goes to Rockefeller and Winston Churchill, politicians, everything. And when you listen to these, it's really inspirational. Mm-hmm. And it teaches you like, as an entrepreneur, and as a founder, it just gives you inspiration and guidance as to like, What's important? How do these people, you know, are the greatest titans in the world history? What did they do? And the most interesting part is what did they do before they were mega billionaires? You know, totally. Like, well, how did they get from zero to having a business? And a lot of it just to their sort of relentless passion and not necessarily a quest for money, but just more quest for wanting to make a difference and do something substantial and just fascinating stuff. And then you get to sort of learn about what these people were really like. Like Rockefeller, there was a recent one where he had 38 letters to his son. So these letters were never intended to be published. Yeah. So you really got to see what Rockefeller was really like because of how he communicated to his son. It wasn't as, oh, this is my biography, this is my autobiography. So it really informed you. He turns out, I mean, he was like an imperialist. He fancied himself like as a Napoleon, a conqueror, literally. You read his language to his son. He's talking about war and conquering, and it's just fascinating. It's fascinating stuff. So that's my favorite. A long answer to your short question called Founders. No, I love it. It
0: reminds me of this great, we're recording this right at the end of November, and uh, there was a great Elon clip yesterday that just reminds me of this. I don't know if you saw it, and his response to Bob Iger pulling advertising.
1: Yeah, this is what I'm reading right now. (laughs) Oh, you're reading? Oh, yeah. It is the Walter Isaacson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, that's yeah, what's well, on my list. Sort of see, like, I'll never be an Elon Musk because, I mean, he was just relentless, but like, he just never quits and never stops pushing. And he is not doing this for money. Like, the richest man in the world, and he never right. did it for money. He's not. Like, he wants to serve humanity and serve yeah. mankind. And that's a common thing amongst many of these people. But I'm never going to be Elon Musk, but at least I see how it works. Like, I sort of get a sense of the insides of how these people think. It gives you some guidance, but it helps you stay motivated.
0: Totally. And there's a, there's a certain nobility that Elon has that I think a lot of people like far left that just despise him, which is really interesting because he is a man for humanity, right? That is what he wants to do is save humanity and figure out how we can continue on as the species beyond right now. But seeing the nobility of this clip, I don't know if you saw the one from yesterday and his response. I didn't
1: oh, it, I know that there are some fireworks Oh, he was
0: absolutely brilliant because this New York Times reporter is asking him on a stage about that, like, as though Elon's on some kind of apology tour right now to make sure advertisers come back on. And he was like, oh, no, let me make this clear. He's like, you think that they can blackmail me with money? And then he goes on and tells them to go F themselves multiple times right, right. with that language. And it's like, oh, yeah. People really think that money is the ultimate, like I think a lot of people's God is money, right? And that is. So you take that away, right? You take away somebody's, that God away from somebody or they don't have that same God and you realize, oh, they're playing on a different field here and that's not going to motivate them, right? right? Like it's crazy. Right.
1: And you'll see it's similar when you listen to these founders podcasts, you're like, oh, that's one thing in common with a lot of these folks. You know, they're just like passionate about providing something that's never been provided
0: yeah yeah and, totally you know, the, money
1: comes, the money comes yeah and the money just comes totally
0: you're running a good business the money comes okay that's great but if that's what you're going after uh, that's not my life that's not what i want
1: and these people fight they're relentless fighters he t- there's one on Herb Kelleher, the guy who founded southwest airlines he does yeah, one on michael so good. Bloomberg, you know how Bloomberg started i don't he got fired from solomon brothers in like 50 years ago with 10 million dollars that's oh, a lot yeah. of money 50 years ago oh yeah and yeah. Like, what do you do like here's a guy he would never have to work again but he was like look I have this idea. I think I can improve how financial services are provided and information is exchanged. And he took his money and put it in. It's like he doubled that. The money wasn't the thing. It was, yeah, he had this vision. And a lot of these guys are the same. Really. Well,
0: I'm adding this one to my list. So thank you. This sounds like a really, (laughs) really great podcast. Last question for you, Stephen. You just found out you have a year to live. What changes?
1: Probably move out of New York City. That's a good question. I have four kids. So I have my obligation to my children doesn't change. So, Probably not that much changes. Just, I think, pausing and, and being more grateful. I do a morning routine where I try to I do a gratitude routine. Sometimes I do it well, and a lot of times I don't. So I'd probably be a little more focused on gratitude and things that I have and keep doing whatever I needed to make sure my children have what they need for okay. after God. I love that. Stephen, thanks so much for your time
0: today. Where can people connect with you and learn more about what you're up to and uh, what you and the brands are up to as well?
1: Well, uh, I guess they can contact me by email if they wanted to. Is that appropriate?
0: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. If you're cool sharing um, that, then that's great. Right. If somebody uh, resonated with what you were saying today and wants to reach out, that would be awesome. Sure.
1: Steve at the hero co S T E V E at the hero code.com.
0: Awesome. And guys, we'll make sure that that's down in the show notes in case you guys want to send an email over to Stephen, just asking some questions. And it definitely seems like you're a wealth of knowledge, Stephen. So thank you again so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Hey guys, just wanted to say thanks again so much for listening to the podcast. If I could ask one favor of you, it would be to share this with your other e-commerce store owner, friends. Uh, we want uh, everyone in the e com space uh, to be listening to this podcast. And lots of you guys already are. And we really, really appreciate that. One last thing before you go as well is we are offering to our podcast listeners a free e-commerce growth plan where we go from strategy to sale with your brand in this e-commerce growth plan. So feel free to go to www.upgrowthcommerce.com grow and apply for a free growth plan today. Thank you all again. So much for listening.